Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy with a message entitled, Growing Stronger in Grace, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Like the gospel is central to the core of Christianity, grace is at the heart of the gospel. Yet, culture has had such an impact on the church, especially the American church, that we have lost the meaning of these words, gospel and grace. It's time we settle these issues. Here's Pastor Tim. We have made our way into 2 Timothy chapter 2. So we're all the way in chapter 2 now. Uh, We're not going to make it very far. In fact, when you look in that particular verse, you are struck already with the word therefore. Almost right off the bat, you find that word, and we know what that means. It always points us back, you know, as you're reading through your Bible, you find the word therefore, you can ask the question, even though it's not good grammar, it's a good study pattern, what's the therefore, therefore? The therefore always points me back to something that was previously said, and you have to go back in the context to be able to discover exactly how far he wants you to go back. In this case, we're in chapter 2, maybe he wants you to go all the way back to the very beginning of the book. Maybe to the beginning of that, of that uh, first chapter or that final paragraph or some of those things. I think in this particular case, he's taking us back to that passage that we studied last week as we were introduced to three specific people, Phygelus and Hermogenes, which if you need some help from this morning, they probably were Karens, <laughs> and then you've got Onesiphorus who's in there as a great contrast of different kinds of members. If you recall, as Paul's talking to Timothy through those things, he's saying to him, don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. And don't be dissuaded, don't be discouraged, don't be deterred by people like that. Instead, stay the course. Find somebody instead who's like an Onesiphorus. Find that person who to you is like a breath of fresh air who comes alongside of you, encourages you, uplifts you, and just gives you some some extra oomph to do the very thing that God's called you to do. So it's in that contrast, in that way of, of being able to say, don't be like this, do be like this, that Paul begins the second chapter by saying, Timothy... Remember those guys we just talked about? And then you see the word you. Or maybe if you're reading from King James, the word thou. Maybe that's the way that your, uh, your verse 1 begins. Mine begins by saying you, therefore. It means that, that grammatically that that word you is placed in the emphatic position. What does that, what does that mean and, and what difference does it make? It makes this difference. It's Timothy being able to, I mean, it's Paul being able to say to Timothy, you've got people like Phygelus and Hermogenes. You don't don't want to be like them, and you don't want to be discouraged by people like them. You're going to also find some people like Onesiphorus. You're going to find some people that are encouraging you, who often refresh you and refresh your own heart. But by putting the word you first, instead of maybe putting it second, He doesn't leave Timothy any room for excuses. In other words, putting the you before the word therefore is a way for Paul to be able to say, Timothy, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what Phygelus decides to do. Doesn't matter what Hermogenes has done to you. 
It doesn't even matter if you can find somebody like Onesiphorus or not. You must, and here's your primary verb in this verse, you must be strong. Be strong. Timothy, if you're going to really lead this church in Ephesus, there are some issues there, and he talks about them in the first letter that he writes to him, and we discover some more of those in the second letter that's written. There are going to be some issues that Timothy's going to have to face as the pastor of that church. And Paul's telling him to be strong. And he's saying, you've got some good folks and you've got some not so good folks. But it really doesn't matter, Timothy, when it really comes down to it. You can't blame Phygelus and Hermogenes for being ineffective. And, and, and Onesiphorus is not going to take credit for the success that you might find in ministry. So you, you yourself pay attention to the ministry that God's given to you. Now, how is he supposed to do that? How is Timothy supposed to be that strong? I can tell you it's not because of his own strength. Onesiphorus was not who he was in his own strength. Timothy is not going to be able to be who God wants him to be or needs him to be for that church in his own strength. And frankly, you're not going to be strong enough in your own strength to do the very things that God's called upon you to do and continually calls you and urges you to do. So what's the, what's the key to the strength that is required? That's what we find in this very first verse. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's how Onesiphorus did it. He did it through God's grace. That's how Timothy's going to be able to do it. It's through God's grace. It's how you're going to be able to do it as well. It's through God's grace. You've got to learn to be strong in that grace. Now... One of the most basic and yet one of the most elusive concepts in all of the Bible, I think, concerns this word grace. I say that it's elusive because we have taken it away from what it, what it originally, what it, what it genuinely means. And we use it Man, I hate to even say it. We, we use it as a church buzzword. We take the word grace and we just add it to different things. You know, there is... I don't even know if I should say this. I won't say it anyway. There's a series of uh, Sunday school materials that, that Lifeway puts out. That when it first came out... Um, I was excited about that. It was called the Gospel Project. And this is going to be great. I began to read through it and I discovered this ain't great. You know? But because it has the word gospel, because it has the words grace that's added to it, then suddenly, well, I can't, you can't say anything bad about that. You know? And the reality is, is that we attach words to things that don't necessarily belong. Ask a person today, what is grace? When we talk about the grace that we need to live, what is a good biblical definition of grace when we talk about the application to our everyday lives? 
That's hard to come up with, isn't it? Let's do a little rundown through your Bible for just a moment. Let me give you some of these, and maybe it'll help you, and we'll try to come up with a good definition, okay? So there are a number of times where you see grace being used in the Scriptures, and, and, and let, me give you, let me give you a phrase, and I'll give you a Bible verse that goes along with it, and you can just jot those things down. So the Bible says that we are to be saved by grace, right? We are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that salvation then doesn't come by my own efforts. Salvation is grace that's given to me by God. Number two, we are sustained by grace. We're sustained by grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. We'll see this verse again later tonight. My grace, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So we're sustained by grace. Number three, we stand in grace. We stand in grace. Romans chapter number 5 and verse 2. At the end of that verse says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We stand in His grace. You're standing every single day. Your position before God is there by grace. Sticking with the book of Romans, I would give you this one, number four. Is that where we are? We serve in grace. We serve in grace. Romans chapter 12, in verse number six, he's talking specifically about spiritual gifts and how God has given those to us that we might fulfill the plan that he has for our lives. And the Bible says this, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Let us use them. Let us use those gifts. How do those gifts come? Do they come because you earn them? Do they come because you hone a particular skill? No, he says that those gifts come according to the grace that's been given to us. Number five, we are supplied by grace. We're supplied by grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8 Love this verse. The Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He supplies you with exactly what you need to do the things that He wants for you to do. Number six, we are sanctified in grace. We're sanctified in grace. You know, the word sanctified simply means to be set apart. It's the same word that we get holy or holiness from. In other words, we are set apart from sin. We're set apart to Him. That's simply what it means to be sanctified. I'm being set apart for His use more and more and more. How does that come? It comes by grace. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32. The Bible says, So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Now listen to this. When he talks about the word of His grace, he says, which is able to build you up 
and to give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. The grace of God has the ability then to build you up, to edify you, and to sanctify you. And then finally, number seven, we are to sprout (laughs) in grace. We're to sprout in grace. We're to grow like a little plant sprouts up from the ground. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, final, final thing that Peter has to say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, it is that exhortation that comes from Paul, which, uh, from Peter, which is a parallel to what we read here tonight as Paul writes then to Timothy. Peter says, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our ability comes from. So this this kind of grace, the kind of grace that saves me, sustains me, that I stand in, that I serve in, that supplies me and sanctifies me and allows me to sprout or to grow or to grow stronger. What is that? How do you come to a definition of faith? I'm going to string one out for you tonight, okay? Because sometimes we'll just kind of, you know, you've probably heard preachers use the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's really good. I mean, it's, it's encouraging to see, but that's not really a definition, is it? God's riches at Christ's expense is good and it's clever, but I want a definition, something I can really work with. So a few weeks ago, I gave you this definition of grace. I said, grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve, right? But it was, it was using that kind of definition in apposition to the definition of mercy. If grace is God giving to me what I don't deserve, mercy then is God not giving to me what I do deserve. It's a great comparison, and as far as that goes, that's a, that's a pretty good definition of it. I think we could go a little bit further than that. Maybe you've heard the definition of God's unmerited favor. I think if you're going to boil a definition down to, its, um, uh, down to its finest point, that's a pretty good one. It is God's unmerited favor or God's unmerited kindness that's given toward us. So if I stretch it out, I would say that it's, it's God's unmerited favor maybe extended to us. It's something that is offered to us. Let me take you back. I'll give you, give you a few more verses here. The very first time that you find the word grace in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8. He's talking about Noah, and the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, and then similarly, in the very next book, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 12, speaking to Moses, God says, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, the first time that you find it in the book of, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, it's in the book of Luke. It's Luke chapter 2 and verse number 40, and there it's talking about Jesus of all people. It's talking about Jesus as a boy, and it says that he grew and became strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom, and then it says this, and the grace of God was upon him. So as I look through those passages, it's something then that is 
found or something that is gained, something that is garnered, something that has been extended to me and I have now received. So grace then is something that I receive into my life. If it's his unmerited favor, his unmerited kindness, then it's something that is offered that I take. So we would call that then a gift. And that's a good word because gift and grace are often found parallel in the Scriptures. In fact, you'll find a number of times this phrase that grace was given. Grace was given as if it is then some kind of gift. And I like the parallels that I see between the words gift and the word grace. For example, if you're talking about a gift or if you're talking about grace, neither one of those things require anything in return. You don't, you, you don't give somebody a gift that you might receive a gift. You, know? you, don't, you, you don't receive grace that you might then extend grace. Now, should you extend grace? Absolutely. But that's not the... That's, that, that's not the requirement for the receiving of grace. Again, both grace and a gift are free to the recipient. Does it cost you anything whatsoever? Thirdly, once they're given, either a gift or grace, both of those are yours to keep. You don't have to give it back. You don't have to go exchange it. Both of those, both gifts and grace, incur a generous and a voluntary exchange. In other words, it's voluntary that somebody would give you a gift. It's voluntary then that God extends His grace to us. And both of those require something generous on our behalf. And then like we mentioned a while ago, both are unmerited. In other words, you don't do anything to earn a gift. You don't do anything to earn grace. Those things are given to us simply because we are loved. You get a gift because you do something for somebody, that's a reward. You, you receive a gift because somebody loves you enough to give you that. We get gifts and we get grace from God because He loves us. So let me, let me, let me kind of refine our definition a little bit more then. So grace then would be God's favor, God's kindness that is freely extended to me, or extended to us, like a, like a gift. But there's another thought. I, I have to take it yet another step further if I really want to settle on some kind of definition that I can use. Because sometimes we think about grace as God giving that to me at salvation. Now I've received it, now that's the end of it. I think what you saw in those verses that I gave you, those seven different ideas, is that, that once I'm saved, His grace still continues to sustain me and to sanctify me and make me into the person that God wants me to be in the first place. So the beginning of my relationship with God in Christ may be the very first time that I sense His grace, but it's certainly not going to be the last time. I need that. All the way through my life. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3 and he opens that by saying this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's a pretty strong question, isn't it? He's talking about who has come in and told you something that is spiritually and biblically untrue and you have bought into it as almost as if you're under some kind of spell. Who has bewitched you? with false teaching. 
If you want to know specifically what he's talking about, then two verses later he says this. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Baptists know this pretty well. You know what he's saying? He's saying, do you think somehow that you are saved by grace, but yet now you have to stay saved by what you do? God's grace is enough to get you into heaven, but God's grace is not enough to get you through life. Who has bewitched you? He has the question. Who would buy into that kind of thought? Lots of us buy into that kind of thought. We think, of course, that it's God's, God and God's alone's responsibility to save me, but somehow I have to maintain myself, I have to keep myself saved. Jesus said, we've been placed in the Father's hand. No one is able to snatch me out of the Father's hand. What I discovered going through those verses and trying to come up with this definition is that this grace is not just some one-time event that God gives to you and then it's over with. It is an ongoing, continuous, benevolent activity that God's involved in with your life. It's an ongoing process where He is actively and continually at work through you. So let me settle my definition that I want to give to you tonight. Grace is God's ongoing favor or kindness. I like both those words. God's ongoing favor freely extended to me whereby I might be and do all that he has in store for me. In other words, he's everything I need. He is all sufficient. There's not one thing lacking. You see, the idea that, uh, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself at this point, but the idea that, that, uh, that we're saved by grace plus what I do is a perverted idea of what the gospel really is. All right, so I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me catch up with myself. All right? So he says to be strong in the grace. In the what? In the ongoing, freely extended gift that allows me to do what God's called me to do. The ongoing favor, that ongoing kindness that God has freely extended to me. I'm to be strong in that. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.